Rebecca Weiser is a journalist, editor and public policy and communications consultant. Rebecca writes for The Australian and The Spectator Australia. Rebecca Weiser, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Mike. You wrote recently about the TGA's decision to ban doctors from prescribing ivermectin to treat COVID-19. Has the TGA lost its way or its mind? Uh, Look, I think there's a real problem here. We have a brand new virus, uh, very different from previous coronaviruses uh, and with some very severe implications about it. And we also have um, brand new uh, vaccines using uh, a a platform, uh, gene therapy, that's never been used in the broader population before. And it seems to me that both of those things mean that we should have a much more active surveillance of uh, what's going on. Uh, when I look at the, the Therapeutic Goods Administration and their monitoring of uh, the response both to ivermectin and to uh, Uh, the gene therapy vaccines, it seems to me uh, utterly inadequate. And uh, so the first thing I would say is that uh, this is not a job that is being done properly, and yet it's an extremely important job. So in that sense, I guess when you say have they lost their way, I think the answer is that uh, they are not doing their job. They are not doing the job that they are meant to do, which is to evaluate the risks and the benefits of products. So when it comes to ivermectin, we saw uh, absolutely no attempt to analyse the enormous number of studies and the epidemiological evidence uh, and the in vitro evidence and the in silico evidence and so on and so forth. Uh, There was a very rushed decision with no evidence base provided at all, and I think that's just unacceptable. There are poor arguments for the decision, re-vaccines, re-bad drug ivermectin, mustn't talk about hydroxychloroquine and so on. Could you go through these? Well, look, the, uh, the whole way that the decision was taken, I think, was absolutely uh, indefensible. On the one hand, we had a delegate of the Secretary of the Department of the Commonwealth Department of Health who took it upon himself to make a decision to change the restrictions on ivermectin without consultation. And this seems to me utterly indefensible. And he said that the reason for doing that was that there was an emergency or a crisis of some sort. Now, he gave no evidence of that, and there is no evidence of that. We have had no reports to the DAEN, which is uh, the database for adverse events Uh, which is run by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, with no reports in the whole pandemic that relate to the misuse of ivermectin in relation to COVID-19, which was supposedly the reason 
that the ivermectin is being restricted. There was only one report for the whole of the pandemic, and that was in February, and that was a person who used it together with another uh, anti-parasite drug in a manner that apparently um, had some sort of an adverse consequence, but was certainly not fatal, and uh, seemed to have nothing to do with the pandemic, whatever. Now, for the secretary, the delegate of the secretary of the Department of Health, to say that there is an emergency when there is simply no evidence of one uh, is not a good enough reason. But that was the first reason for taking an incredibly rushed decision. And the delegate of the secretary went on to say, well, he consulted apparently with the Therapeutic Goods Administration and they consulted with the relevant committee. By the way, a committee which was comprised of uh, people who had no knowledge of ivermectin and its uses in relation to COVID-19. So I just think it was absolutely shocking. And on top of that, uh, what is really appalling is that when I approached the Therapeutic Goods Administration and asked them, was there any means for reviewing this? I was informed that no, there wasn't. No review possible. So an absolute travesty of a process with no review. It just uh, seems to me that this cannot stand like this. And the process itself, even if there's no formal mechanism, the process itself has to be um, appealed and reviewed, it seems to me. You cannot remove a drug which doctors find to be life-saving, life-saving mm. in the middle of a pandemic and say we are going to withdraw it with no reason or evidence base given. We uh, have on uh, regularly um, uh, Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's got the whole alphabet behind his name. Uh, wonderful doctor, great person. Um, we've had uh, Vladimir Zelenko on, who um, has uh, treated Donald Trump with hydroxychloroquine, but because it was Donald Trump, such a bad drug. Uh, Pierre Corion, uh, we've had uh, last week, uh, Jessica Rose was on. And they all say ivermectin works, but they also make the point, where is there a disease that there is no early treatment? And, and then we get to the TGA. I can't understand. I mean, I can, I can surmise why they're doing this, but you know, I can't understand still why they would allow, and it gets down to the nitty gritty here, why they would allow people to suffer, die, or have some sort of injury Whereas you can give them this very cheap drug with other, you know, vitamin D and zinc and stuff and make sure a doctor prescribes it and it saves your life. We look at India. You know, India was going to die. It's going to fall apart. They're all going to have trillions dead. We've got to get vaccines. Guess what? They couldn't get the vaccines there. Weren't going to pay enough probably, but couldn't do any of that. They went back to ivermectin except for one province and the numbers just dropped. So I can't understand, Rebecca why the TGA, why the government, why the medical fraternity, the media, and just goes on, why they would allow this, this cruelty, this evil? Well, it's very distressing. And um, uh, when you approach or read what's um, uh, the response of the TGA uh, to this, what they have said up to date is that there was not enough evidence 
to either um, recommend for or against ivermectin. So that at least means and, and meant that ivermectin could be prescribed off script. That means that you can use it to treat COVID-19 because it's been deemed to be safe and because you're using it in doses which are um, within the acceptable range of doses which have been shown to be safe, that you can use it. So what changed? That's the question. I mean, it would have been great if the Therapeutic Goods Administration had at the very least uh, studied all of the data and all of the studies that are available uh, and made a positive recommendation. But in the absence of that, they, there was no justification for reducing accessibility. So now you can, a, a doctor can still prescribe ivermectin in Australia, but it has to be a specialist. It's very much harder to see a specialist mm. and to find someone. And it has to be, you know, it can be a gastroenterologist, for example. Uh, I presume, although I am not 100% sure, but I presume that a gastroenterologist such as Dr. Thomas Brody is allowed still to prescribe it as he sees fit. But it's not necessarily, he certainly has the right to prescribe it. Mm. Um, uh, but I find this utterly shocking and there's no precedent for it with regard to ivermectin. So, for example, in the United States, the National Institutes for Health has a similar recommendation. It says there's not enough evidence either for or against. So you can still legally prescribe a GP or equivalent, a physician in the United States can still prescribe ivermectin. The problem they're having there is that pharmacists are refusing mm. in many cases, it seems, to, to fill the prescription but you can still prescribe it. So where is the justification for the secretary, the delegate of the secretary of the Commonwealth Department of Health, or for the TGA, to restrict access? It's going further. Mm. And yet, as far as I know, they didn't cite it, but there has been supposedly one report in Australia, one report of somebody who overdosed on ivermectin. And what was what happened? They had... Vomiting and diarrhea mm. is life-threatening. And it clearly wasn't a case of that person using it in the prescribed dose because the prescribed dose is safe and it ha has virtually no side effects. This is a drug that uh, the WHO itself has put on its list of 100 of the most essential drugs for treatment and it is one of the safest drugs with the fewest interactions with other drugs of any drug known it is safer than aspirin um, so they're really this is incomprehensible the mm. judgment that the that the delegate of the secretary and that the therapeutic goods administration have taken i mentioned those doctors before they've come out very strongly on what's happening in the u.s um, i look at the doctors in australia and I can't find any. I, I know of um, one that's uh, in a bit of bother because they, I won't go too much into it because it, it will give him away. But anyway, he has his license uh, on a thin edge for telling the truth. But 
the doctors. Now, you know, the doctors, we trust a doctor. We go to the doctor to, to make sure that, you know, we're going to live as long as we can and as, as healthy as we can. But the doctors now are almost like the uh, like an Amway agent for the uh, the big farmer, and uh, yeah, take the vaccine, get the vaccine, it's great for you. Yeah. First of all, the doctor doesn't know because the doctor is not an immunologist. The doctor is doing as he is told because if the doctor does not recommend the vaccine, then the doctor faces some sort of severe action down the track from uh, from the authorities. Are you aware, though, of any reaction from the doctors who have said, OK, enough, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to make sure that we're getting the message out. We're going to practice what we're taught, and that is first, do no harm. We raise an excellent point, Mike, and there are a number of um, parts to it. So the first part is that the relationship between the doctor and the patient is protected and there is no role at all for the Therapeutic Goods Administration to intervene in that uh, relationship between the patient and the doctor. They, are, uh, they do not regulate doctors. So uh, that is actually done by the Australian Health Practitioners mm. uh, Regulatory Agency that uh, has only been set up relatively recently about a... Uh, in the last decade or so, and that does regulate. And when you have a look at what they have said, it's quite shocking. Mm. So they have been told that they must not in any way go against the sort of the government's decision. So, again, this is a government bureaucrat, a health bureaucrat that most times has zero experience in actually treating patients and no current experience of it, intervening and telling doctors what they can and can't say. And I find it utterly shocking. Now, I'm going to go a bit further than you, Mike. I know of two doctors, one a specialist, one a general practitioner, who have been suspended their right to practice medicine has been suspended. And for what? For writing on social media statements which are backed by science, mm. backed by evidence, and are correct from my point of view, disputed by other people. But, for example, things about the efficacy of masks. Now, it's indisputable that cloth masks really make no difference. I don't think there is a single study that you can point to. And for paper masks, honestly, you only have to ask yourself the fact that they don't seal against your face and so that the air and the aerosolized matter can come in mm. behind the mask makes it pretty clear how effective they're going to be, mm. let alone the size of the holes when the microscopic holes in a mask compared to the size of the aerosolized particles. It's absurd. But for simply saying things like lockdowns don't work, there is no randomized control trial that will show you a lockdown works. This has never been done before. But the epidemiological evidence shows that countries such as Japan, South Korea, Taiwan that did not lock down, countries such as Sweden that did not lock down, uh, did not have catast catastrophic benefits. Mm. In the case of the three Asian countries, they actually have some of the lowest rates of 
COVID deaths in the world, mm. thanks to early treatment. And in the case of Sweden, if you look at their excess mortality, there was no increase in ex excess mortality, which I'm sorry to say is not the case at the moment for Australia. Australia actually has elevated excess mortality at the moment, and it's certainly higher than Sweden does. So the evidence in favour of either masks or lockdowns, for example, or early treatment, all of the things that these doctors wrote about, the evidence in favour of what they said is certainly there, and yet they have lost their right to practice medicine. Mm. That's absolutely an appalling decision in the case of one of them is taken by a medical, I think in both of them, it's taken by a medical council, when normally these sort of decisions are about, you know, a doctor that um, uh, has an inappropriate relationship with a patient or is engaged in malpractice or something of that mm. nature. I mean, the idea that you can lose your right to practice for simply saying something which happens to be true mm. Um, and which may be controversial, but that's all you could say, the worst you could say about it, I think has to change. That has to change. And that, in my opinion, is why doctors are so quiet. And I know doctors who are under extreme stress. I know doctors who have gone into retirement because they were of a certain age, they would have otherwise been happy to practice, but in this situation where they are not allowed to save people's lives and where they are being pressured to to support or, or, or not to speak out against things which they believe may be jeopardising somebody's life, I think mm. it's appalling. Interesting, in South Australia, there. Um, I was reading the last week, made my eyebrows raise, um, the grey hairs in them, but the, there was a, um, a story that uh, if you were to get an antibody test, you would be fined $22,000 for having that antibody test. And you have the antibody test, really simple, uh, not a big deal, but tells you whether you've had COVID, uh, because if you had COVID, then you should not take the vaccine at any stage because the uh, ramifications are tenfold. But you'll get a $22,000 fine, so government is now giving, you know, they're the ones that are pulling, they're the puppet masters, aren't they? They're the ones telling the agencies below them, do as what we say and not as what we do. So the, 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 the trust then for the government, the trust for uh, APRA or AHPRA or the TGA or for the doctors or the specialists, anything to do with medical, it's been slammed as, at this stage. How can they reverse that, that lack of trust well, I think uh, the reason there's this huge trust deficit is because of um, these uh, practices which undermine freedom of speech, which undermine um, the right of the doctor to treat an individual patient um, uh, to the best of their knowledge and using all of the, uh, you know, thinking only about the good of the patient. So, and you know, respecting the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm. So, I mean, in a situation like that, I think that trust evaporates. Uh, uh, and the only way, the first thing that has to be done is for those, that sort of arbitrary behaviour and interference um, has to be reversed. And then, to be honest, the thing about trust, they say, 
you know, the old joke, the, you know, it arrives on foot. It's built very slowly. And it leaves in a Porsche in an instant. <laughs> you know? when, once you've destroyed trust, it's, it's gone. It's very hard to rebuild. And I think the damage from the way this pandemic has been managed will um, will take a long time for for confidence to be rebuilt. And that's assuming that we can get these sort of nefarious decisions reversed because I think, um, you know, it's, I, I, I think this is a battle that has to be fought and mm-hmm. it has to be won, but, but we're still a long way from winning it, you know. I mean, at the moment, to my... The way it looks to me is like it's mob rule, you know. The politicians are interested only seemingly in being popular and the populace is being whipped up by, you know, all sorts of fear-mongering and getting the worst of all possible worlds. Now, for that to turn around, it has to hopefully turn around, but it's it's a big task and it's only a few people who are really out there pushing. Reminds me of a, a sushi train sushi train at the moment we've got all the uh instead of the bits of fish and stuff going around it's another lie another lie another lie another lie and it just keeps going around and around and around last night on uh, alan jones for example he had on a i won't mention his name but a, a very learned professor and uh, epidemiologist and immunologist and uh, the crux of the interview was that uh, vaccines synthetic immunity is much better than natural immunity, which is another line on that sushi train. But does the TGA, does APRA, do the medical profession really care about trust? Because the last 19 months, 20 months, it hasn't been about trust. It's been about manipulation and control. Well, the way I think it works is a a sort of... um, uh a process where my greatest confidence and trust has been in the people that I've dealt with face-to-face. And I have to say, I think there's been some absolutely heroic doctors um, who, in the face of this, honestly operate a bit like the French resistance. That's what it feels like. So for those people who have wanted to get, um, uh, you know, a supply of ivermectin, you know, you even before this decision of the TGA, it wasn't easy, just you're not allowed to say anything publicly. So getting the word around and it, it, it's really been difficult. So I, I'm full of admiration for those doctors who have taken a stand and some of them, as I say, two of them so far to my knowledge have, have lost their right to practice, which has to be restored in my opinion. So, But I think as you move up and up, what you see at every level is that there is somebody up above, somebody higher, somebody higher uh, who's driving an agenda because, I mean, if you look at the articles I've written uh, and I, I don't think I'm Robinson Crusoe in this. There is an agenda being driven here, and it's an agenda which says vaccines first, vaccines last, vaccines, vaccines, they're great. There's no problem with them. We all have to have them, everybody. Oh, well, it's an emergency authorization. Never mind. You have to. You are not allowed to have any doubts. And you only have to ask yourself who benefits, you know, mm. quib. Well, the vaccine manufacturers. So Mm. very powerful people. They have a huge amount of money. They have made billions and billions out of this. 
Uh, I think, you know, Pfizer, for example, I think I saw a figure like 33 billion and that was uh, for this year and that was before the boosters, you know. So there is so much money to be made and obviously every additional person, whether the cost-benefit analysis for that person, maybe they're a 12 or a 13-year-old child, perfectly healthy. What is the risk to them mm. from COVID? You know, we've seen so few healthy children who've had severe COVID. Mm. Almost the handfuls of children who've had it have all had serious underlying health issues. Um, and yet every child from 12 to 15 meant to mm. be vaccinated. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Who does that benefit? Mm. Is it for the benefit of the child or is it for the benefit of the, the, the manufacturer who makes another dollar and another dollar each time? You mm. know, to me it seems like if you look all the way up to the WHO, the WHO has made some extraordinary rulings and it seems to be utterly captured. I think what we see is regulatory capture and organisations like the WHO uh, and that filters down from international organisations to our national ones and at each level using fear and manipulation mm. and who knows how much money can buy an awful lot of influence, you know. So um, that that is honestly what I see behind it and the people on at the ground level, the doctors, you know, Many, many of them may be just sort of untroubled by all of this, but it's been some really courageous ones who've spoken out. Do you think there's a, I mean, I look at all the players involved, or the bad actors, and uh, right at the very top, uh, in my opinion, are the media, because I think without the media, this wouldn't have got this far down the track. Um, do you think there's a massive fail of journalism at the moment? Uh, look, I think um, it's hard and, you know, as a, as a journalist, as a columnist, you know, you don't like to turn against your own profession. But I think what I have seen that's really shocked me is a very high level of censorship mm. um, uh, in organisations where I would never, you know, have expected it. Look, you know, any news outfit can often be captured by groupthink. And I think whether whatever whatever your perspective is, it's easy for people who work together to end up more or less all sharing the same idea and often not being aware of it, uh, that that's what they're doing. But mm. still, I mean, you normally expect, and some organisations have been criticised about that for a long time, you know, but... Really, the level of censorship I've seen for a moment, for the moment, for example, about vaccine injuries. I mean, there are more than 550 people who have died after vaccination, and uh, some of them, have, and a lot of them, and certainly that's just in Australia, of course. I mean, in the US, the figures are so much. They're almost 15,000. Some of those are from overseas, but uh, deaths. Uh, registered in the US post-vaccination. Now, we don't get much data. Again, the TGA just isn't giving us the data we need to analyse that. But in the US, most of those deaths are occurring within 24 to 48 hours or at least the onset of severe symptoms. Now, that temporality is one of the clearest indications 
of a link to vaccines. It's always very hard to establish, you know, is there mm. causality? But we don't even have that data. Again, another failing of the TGA, and, and they really have to lift their game so that it's possible to see this. Because as you say, how do we trust if we can't even examine the data, if we simply don't know uh, what's going on? I mean... Mm. It's not possible to trust without being able to verify. You could almost say that it's time to uh, a big clean-out of the TGA. The only problem is if we do a clean-out, who do we get? And the, you, you may go from fry pan into the fire, and um, TGA is very established. The government follows TGA guidelines and uh, got all those issues. So whether the TGA would ever get cleaned out, but uh, first of all, do no evil. Um, now, are things going to get worse with enforced vaccinations, ongoing border restrictions and growing public un unrest? You need to be a fortune teller here and look into your cup of green tea and tell us what's going to happen. Well, I, I don't ever... Um, I think it's enough to analyse what's currently going on and what we've actually been told will happen. Crystal ball gazing is something I don't ever like to do make predictions it's just too easy to be wrong and my goodness people have been spectacularly wrong in predicting things in this pandemic mm. uh, you can't even predict what our premiers are going to say because they say one thing and they do exactly or say exactly the opposite you know the next day or the next month so what I would say nonetheless is look at the trend, the trend's always your friend. And I think what we will see for a while, what we know about the vaccines so far is that they have a sort of a up to six month um, window uh, of efficacy. So there's massive vaccination going on at the moment and you'll get six months and we're going into summer and coronaviruses in general and respiratory viruses in general um, go down in the summer. Mm. Now, we can't guarantee that because we saw Israel um, had an explosion of cases mm. during summer and we saw an explosion of cases in, in the UK, although... Thankfully, deaths are much lower there. So I, I think what we'll have is at least a little bit of a vaccine honeymoon while they're effective for at least a couple of months. And uh, so things might be, you know, sort of feeling a little bit better. I, I mean, I would make no prediction about Victoria because the Premier there is just so determined to make the people of Victoria suffer for as long as possible and with the most incomprehensible, nonsensical restrictions that who knows how long mm. they'll be up. But I think in New South Wales there'll hopefully be a period and, and, and I hope they'll open up to um, international travel. Mm. And some of us, I think, will think about going and not so sure about Coming when back. we'll come back. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I'd I, I love my travel, but um, I spent half my life in the US and did a lot of stuff throughout Asia and, and so forth. But uh, I'm one of the unvaxxed, I'm the unclean person, and um, which, which is really interesting. Um, the, viral, the viral load of someone with the vaccine and the viral load of someone without the vaccine, um, with COVID, it's the same. There's no difference. And it's uh, so the vaccines, you know, might have been good, a great idea at one stage, uh, not such a great idea now. And in fact, they're, I think, an abomination 
of um, what's going to happen down the track. But that's another conversation, one that would probably go much longer than the, than the one we've had at the moment. Uh, Rebecca, look, it's been fantastic. If somebody wants to uh, read some of your articles over a, um, a fluffy white, how would they do that? Well, um, pretty much all of them, uh, with about one exception, are on The Spectator Australia, mm-hmm. um, which always has fabulous – it is behind a paywall. You'll be able to get at least to see, I would think, a couple, um, and then you run into a, or two or three. I'm not sure how many, but you run into a paywall. But I would encourage you, it's really not very much money, very – um, and that helps to pay us a very, very modest um, income. Mm. But uh, everything that I've written uh, is there and I've been sort of documenting the pandemic in all its tortuous and mm. crazy detail for 18 months now. So it's a, it's a bit of a record. I am trying to work on a book, so might bring it all together and then Fantastic. have another way of seeing Fantastic. it all. But uh, maybe a, a summer project, sitting under the willow tree with a glass of shardy. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Rebecca, thank you very much. It's a pleasure.